0: from Kirkco Media
1: Coming up on Life Done Better
0: I think one of the things that's happened and this is a way that you know if you're struggling with an eating disorder or if you're the loved one of someone it's about being more not less all is welcome all is welcome all is welcome
1: Welcome to Life Done Better I'm your host Jill Young. I received a request from a listener to dedicate an episode to eating disorders and how to recover from it. What are the signs of someone struggling with eating disorders and how can we best address it? The best person I could think of to answer these questions is my friend, Angela Taylor. She's a licensed psychotherapist, certified EMDR practitioner, and yoga instructor. Angela's expertise is in working with trauma, eating disorders, and shadow work. Welcome to my dear friend, Angela.
0: Thank you. I'm so happy to be
1: here, Jill. I know. I'm so glad we reconnected because this is an area of focus and a specific subject that really affects so many people on this planet. So what are some signs that we need to be aware of that, that really falls under disordered eating, where obviously the severity of it, it differs?
0: Yeah. So... I love that. And as we talk about it, I should just own that even though I'm a licensed therapist, I've been in, working almost exclusively with eating disorders for about 10 years and change. Where I am now, I kind of waft in and out of clinical eating disorder and just disordered eating. So I just want to own, like, I'm aware of the fact that sometimes I'm speaking clinically and sometimes I'm speaking more generally. And the reason I say that now is because, and again, I'll just own my own perspective, which is that we have a culture. If you're in, in kind of Western modern culture, There's an obsession with weight and body, and yet there's not much wisdom about it. There's some, I'm talking in generalities. Some people are really severe as far as how the symptoms manifest, but almost all of us are too obsessed with how the body functions or doesn't function. We're too aware of what we think are imperfections and we're trying too hard to get rid of them. So as far as signs and symptoms, so if we want to start almost like you might have an eating disorder if, right? If you're someone who's thinking about food or your body the majority of the day, almost every day, that's a sign that something might be going on for you. And by thinking about it, you know, if it's severe, it's at the forefront of your mind. Meaning if I were active in my eating disorder right now, Jill, I'd be talking to you. But my mind would be going, okay, what did I have for breakfast and how many calories was it and what time is it and when can I eat again? And oh, good. I'm so glad I'm talking to Jill because that will take up an hour of my time, which means I won't be eating for an hour, which means when it's really severe, it clouds your capacity to be present my hand would be on my belly and I'd be checking, okay, I'm sitting down. Do I have a roll? How big is the roll compared to yesterday? So if you're thinking about your food or you're thinking about your body a good amount of the day, more days than not, like that's a sign that something's up for you. Right. Another big sign is how much it impacts your life. If there's a significant amount of shifting that you do in your schedule because of your food or body, Okay, I can't see this person because of how I look today. I don't want to go on a date because of how I look today. I don't want to hang out with this friend because she's going to want to go to dinner and I don't know what I'm going to be able to eat there. Or if it just causes a tremendous amount of distress, right? Like if I'm going to a party tonight and right now I'm freaking out because I don't know what the food is going to be there or how I'm going to manage what I eat or don't eat, then that's a sign that something's going on for you.
1: I really think that, you know, you can check in with yourself to see how much time it occupies because truly we are all affected by our appearance or how we want to show up in life. And yeah, there is this obsessive need to lose weight. Most of the women I train and men to in a little gym here at the house. They all come in for weight loss, and most of them don't need to lose weight. And they really focus on these tiny little areas that they may have some loose skin or a little extra fat, like around the belly button, of, and especially when women have given birth you know, the bra strap may have a little loose skin over it and they're like disgusted by it. And it's really, I can see how much time it occupies in their head because I've been part of the fashion industry. So I I am very picky myself when it comes to beautiful bodies and taking care of them. But I also am very aware that the fashion industry does not resemble real life. And so when I look into like everyday people that, you know, do not have to be in their best shape of their lives day. Day, it's completely different expectations for me, but it does not translate that way for the, you know, the women that I then see and talk to. And they really are saying, Well, I had three kids and I'm not feeling good about my body. When I look at this lady's body, I'm just like, it looks like you never had any kids. Like your body is amazing. Like it, it doesn't even show any signs of you having three babies. And I have a friend who has dealt with eating disorders and she said she would spend an hour like standing in front of the mirror every day to shame herself, yep. to say, look at this disgusting body. Look at you. Yes. And when I heard that, I just had like tears appeared in my eyes. I'm like, are you serious?
0: Yeah, I have chills hearing that. And I, you know, as you're talking, I'm hearing that one of the distinctions is if the motivation for whatever your choice is working out, even if you think, oh, this is self-love, this is my self-care routine. If the motivation for it is shame or fear or hate based, like that's disordered, whether it's eating disorder or whatever category we want to put it in, but that that's a sign that there's a wound there, right? That this isn't about care. This is about hate. This is about like, I'm not good enough. So I have to change in order to be good enough as opposed to, Oh my God, I have so much respect for myself. I have respect for my history. I have respect for my imperfections and I I'm going to care for them. And here's how I'll care for them.
1: And some of the more severe eating disorders can be life-threatening, and that's when you really need to get real help. You know,
0: disordered eating is, it's an over-identification with the mind and with the rational and with mathematics and with the mundane, like the body. And healing, I think, is a reorientation toward heart and toward soul. And like you said, I think one of the ways that we can work through, like identifying, oh, is this... Is this a problem for me? And what's my healing path? Is you know what's the motivation behind it? What's governing you? What's the, what's at the foundation of it? Right? If fear is at the foundation, if self hatred is at the foundation, what can we do to shift that toward love? What can we do to shift that toward care and compassion? If you're doing everything based on mathematics, like math is great, but when it's running the show, we get in trouble. When we reduce everything to a mathematic equation, like a formula, I think that's really scary and really dangerous. Health and healing is really when we bring the soul back, right? When we bring that intuition back, when we go, wait, what's most important to me here? If I'm compromising connection to have a certain calorie count at the end of the day, is that who I want to be on the planet?
1: Yeah, you're missing out on life in so many ways. Yeah. So, Angela, so what are some of the most common emotional issues or triggering events that lead to developing eating disorders?
0: I'll name a couple. One of the ones that I've seen emerge out of the years of work that I've done is difficulty processing grief. People that have a hard time processing grief wind up being pretty good candidates for eating disorders. And and I think partly because, because of number two, which is that we all, as a culture, modern culture, tend toward polarization, modern Western culture. But there are certain individuals within that that really tend toward polarization good, bad, right, wrong, perfect, horrible. And people who have that tendency, those people, who also have a high level of creativity, sensitivity, and empathy. So when the same human psyche is both intelligent and perfectionistic-based and deep feeling, that human being is at high, 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 high risk of eating disorder, especially if they're born into a family or environment that doesn't teach them how to hold that.
1: Because when you talk about grief, do you always talk about losing a family member, a close friend? Is it about death?
0: Yes. Grief meaning the entire side of life that feels like loss. So grief could be losing someone, but grief could also be the pain of being, for example, a really sensitive kid, but being born into a family that doesn't talk about feelings again, I keep saying the word dangerous. It's interesting that that's what's coming up because I think it is. These these are things that inhibit us from living full, vibrant lives, right? And dangerous meaning when we repress and get hurt, hurt people hurt people. So dangerous in that way too, right? If we're running around with wounds, then we're really likely to project and wound other people.
1: All of that. Yeah. So So can you say that not feeling safe and the desire to control can lead to developing eating disorders?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Not feeling safe and particularly I would say two brands of not feeling safe. Like traditionally abusive, you know, homes or traditional trauma which I would call like capital T trauma, you know, not safe in the sense of like my needs are not going to be met. My physical needs aren't going to be met. There's harm to my body, you know, through sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse. Yeah. But also safe meaning like I'm not in an environment where it's safe to be me. It's not safe for me to express. This actually has come out of my my work with my dissertation. I didn't go in looking for shame, but I came out going, holy moly, shame is an architect. It's not just a result of It's not like, oh, my body isn't how I want it to be, so I have shame. It's like shame is first. Shame is the birthplace of all this self-hatred and self-loathing. We start from a place of shame. And then from that, we build all of these adaptations. Well, then I'll be perfect because I'm ashamed. Well, then I'll obsess because I'm ashamed. I mean, I'm stuttering because the impact of shame is profound. And I think it's probably the birthplace of a lot of disorders. Eating disorders not exempt from that.
1: Right. So eating disorders are not exempt from that and the need to control your environment if you have lost someone or have you've gone through a lot of chains, if you feel unsafe, makes sense that you want to control the one thing that you own and that's your body.
0: And I think one of the important things that I'm even just really articulating is that The need to control is at the core of most eating disorders. But what I think is important is that control is not the birth of the eating disorder. Control is the adaptation to an injury. The injury is the birth. People who are controlling tend to be eating disordered. It's like, no, no, people who are sensitive, whose world gets turned upside down, turn to control to make sense of their world. And sometimes the control once started cannot be stopped. It turns into the God of the life. And then we see eating disorders, but it's not just, oh, controlling perfectionistic people tend toward eating disorders.
1: And that's so important for everyone that is listening. If you are someone that's suffering, or if you know someone that is suffering from eating disorders, if we can give them the perspective that the emotions that they feel are valid and for them to be sensitive of nature is fantastic and everything that they're experiencing can eventually also help others because these type of people I call light workers. And, and And I think to tell you or whoever is listening that needs to hear it, you are allowed to feel everything you're feeling. And you are going through this for a reason that may be bigger than you. And how can we help you best? So what are the do's and what are the don'ts if we offer our help? How can we support the ones suffering?
0: I mean, literally, if, you could, if everyone could see me, I was bouncing and clapping when, as Jill was talking <laughs> because I think one of the things that's happened, and this is a way that, you know, if you're struggling with an eating disorder or if you're the loved one of someone, It's about being more, not less. All is welcome. All is welcome. All is welcome. And what happens, particularly if you have an eating disorder that you've gotten treatment for in some way, and especially if you're on the compulsive overeating side or the binge eating side, and so you also have weight or weight gain and and your entry into treatment is through medical doctors in that community. There's so much emphasis on what's wrong. Let's get rid of it and let's make it right. I don't think that we can overemphasize what you said, Jill, which is be more. If you're hurting because you're sensitive, be more sensitive. If you're hurting because your voice is loud, be louder. This flight toward restrictiveness in any way, restricting your voice, restricting your creativity, restricting your calorie intake is so the root, I think, of many of our issues. What we cast into shadow (sighs) Right comes it was a kitten and then it comes back as a demon or more than a kitten It was an ally and then we cast it into hell and then it became Satan It wasn't Satan to begin with right and if we want to use kind of Christian symbolism It's this idea that things are not that dark in themselves It's that we cast them away and say I can't I shouldn't it's bad You shouldn't you're bad then it becomes an enemy But this whole idea of going back and retrieving these lost parts of our souls, these lost parts of our personalities, I love that. Yeah. Don't be less, be more, be more, be more, be more, be more.
1: We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Taback and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurtco Media. Welcome back. So, as a friend or as a family member, what do I say or do?
0: You ask? and you listen. So here's the don't. I'll say the don'ts because like you said, best intentions, we make a mess. One of the things people have to understand about eating disorder brains is that they, like I said before, they are highly intelligent and tend toward formulaic styles of thinking. So don't talk about numbers. If you start talking about numbers specifically, it will stick in an eating disorder person's brain. They won't be able to forget it. There's usually an obsessive aspect to it where it's like, well, if I didn't eat it or couldn't eat it yesterday or today, then I certainly can't tomorrow. So staying away from specific numbers, weights, calorie numbers, things like that. Like don't don't use that kind of language. So it's funny too cuz another thing is if we honor that, if we hold that, one of the building blocks for eating disorders is shame then one of the things that's important is that we understand that shame is not an individual's experience. Shame exists in relationship. Like infants don't know how to be ashamed. They don't have social consciousness yet. They don't understand yet. Like if I'm an infant, I don't know that you're looking at me through your perspective, that you might judge me differently than I judge myself, right? So shame isn't even available. You just poop because you want to poop and you throw up because you want to, and you eat because you want to eat and you laugh, right? There's no shame filter. So one of the things that's important to understand is that shame doesn't just exist in the person over there with the eating disorder. It is co-created. When you're wanting to be an ally, a support person on the healing, a a light worker for someone with an eating disorder, you have to know that they are coming from a place of shame, whether they know it or not. So one of the things you don't want to do is ignore it and pretend it's not happening because that is inadvertently shaming oh, I can't accept that part of you, so I'll pretend it's not there. But you also don't want to come at them with anything that could increase shame. So like you said, you're making me feel this way. You shouldn't do. Why can't you just take it out of your vocabulary? Because all of those are going to feed shame, and shame is what feeds the eating disorder, and it's a lost cause no matter what your intentions are, right? Another thing that's important just to know about human nature is that a lot of times we rise to the invitation. So if my fear speaks to you, I'm inviting your fear. If my judge speaks to you, I'm inviting your judge. Where we come from and who we are invites the other person. They may or may not accept the invitation, but they invite it. So if I'm in care and love and I say, I care about you, you matter to me. Who you are, what you are matters to me. And I'm here for you in the way that works for you then you're inviting the deeper soul of that person.
1: Yeah, because when they're ready, they'll start talking if you're the chosen one, right? And so you definitely want to make sure they feel safe in sharing and that you know, everything that is being shared is confidential. The mother that contacted me initially for the show, I wanted to send her daughter one of my books, like right? the, the Models Do Eat book. Mm. And I said, uh, all the girls that are part of this book, the Models to Eat book, have dealt with some form of disordered eating and some health issues. And I think it can help to show all these different women's experiences and also show them that they healed by actually learning about nutrition and learning how to cook and really take care of themselves and come from a place of self-love. Yes. And so um, she said, yes, yeah, so I, you know, like, I think that's great, but I don't want my daughter even to know that I talked to you. And I said, okay, I get it. I'm still happy to obviously provide the book, but I wouldn't sign it because again, that's that shame, right? Of no one should know that I'm dealing with this and where I am like, but I want you to know I'm here to support you, even though you don't know me.
0: But like you said, the invita- it's the invitation, right? You make yourself available and they may choose you. They may invite you or they may say, thank you or no, thank you, but I'm going elsewhere. And it's true for everyone, eating disorders are just an exaggeration of this reality, which is that one of the wounds is it's not safe for me to be me in the world. And so one of the the nuances of healing that's so important that gets missed a lot is if you contribute to someone's shame, you've already lost them. And also, if you contribute to someone's disempowerment, you've lost them. And that's one way to contribute to disempowerment, right? Is I'm in charge of your recovery. I have a right to your recovery takes their power away from them conscious or not. It's usually not conscious. We want to be mindful to not pretend it doesn't exist because that's another thing people talk about all the time is feeling like nobody talked about it. I was down to 80 pounds. Nobody said anything until I passed out. You know, I was binging at night. All the snacks were missing. No one said anything. So, right. We also don't want to miss. And that's why I'm like, oh, to the parents and loved ones of people with eating disorders, like God bless you, Goddess bless you, all that is bless you, because it's a challenge. And if you don't have an eating disorder or haven't struggled, it doesn't make sense. It seems crazy. And by the way, that's because, and this would be a whole other conversation, but that's because eating disorders are not literal, they're metaphorical. They're expressing something metaphorically. The soul is trying to speak through literal terms. But we we all we do is deal with the literal things, the weight gain, the weight loss, the food, the not food, right? But I just want to speak with so much grace and mercy and thank you to anyone even willing to try to support because it's a bit of a beast to take on. And if you haven't had an eating disorder, it's a very mysterious beast to take on. So I just want to emphasize like whatever you're doing, if you're even trying, props to you because most people just turn their head and run the other way because it's too big and too much and too awful and too scary. So yet yeah, we want to honor, I see you struggling. I'm imagining that you're struggling. I notice this. Can we talk about it? Are you willing to talk to someone? Like acknowledging it, but not emphasizing it or mistaking it as the human. You're my daughter. I want to connect with you, daughter. How would you like to go for, you know, go to our favorite spot in nature? Let's try this meditation together. Is there anything you would like to do? I miss you. I want to spend time with you, right? So I love that, the emphasizing the human and acknowledging, honoring the disorder, working with it. I see the wound. Let's talk about the wound. Do you want to get help for the wound? What can I do? Tell me how to support you.
1: That lens, I feel it. If you do notice someone not eating at all when you're eating, always kind of avoiding appointments around food, then it may also be a good time to kind of address it. But how then do you address that if you're really not sure, but you do have a suspicion?
0: So I love that question because I feel like for a lot of us, that, that's the conflict, right? It's like, I have a suspicion, but I'm not sure. Or I might even think I'm sure, but I don't know how to bring it up if you're like, okay, I want to offer myself as someone who loves this person. I don't want to be part of the problem of secrecy, but I also don't want to be part of the problem of shaming that the way in is off. Take ownership, that it's your perspective and be very, very, very clear that you're bringing it up as an invitation, but you're in complete respect of the other person as the authority in their own life. Right? So like, Hey friend, I really love you. I really care about you. And I feel like it would be remiss of me to love and care about you and not share with you some of the things that I've been thinking and feeling lately. I saw this and I saw that. Here's a game changer for a lot of us. And the story I'm telling myself is we tried to go out to dinner this day, but you hadn't in this dinner. And the story I'm telling myself is that maybe you're struggling in a way with food or body. And so because I care about you, I just wanted to invite the conversation because I feel like, again, it would be remiss of me, or I wouldn't know how to be a good, loving friend to you, but also keep this a secret. That just doesn't feel right to me.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. That's wonderful. So, and the road to recovery can be quite long, right? It can take many years or sometimes even longer to really heal from it completely. What are the most important steps in the road to recovery?
0: Number one, I would say is connection. So most important step to the road to recovery is not hiding in secret. So connection might start with a girlfriend. It might start with mom. It might start with a good therapist or a dietitian. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, it affects your mind. It affects your body. It affects your capacity to show up in the world. It affects your relationships. It affects your identity. So the road to recovery involves all of those same areas and for a lot of people if you have a if you have a severe clinical eating disorder for most people it takes formal intervention like a dietitian or nutritionist who is in the know about working with eating disorders a personal trainer or coach who is in the know about working with eating disorders a therapist a group support group right some people it works to have informal treatment like you just have a good friend or that type of thing but The road to recovery really involves shifting the way that you think about your body, shifting the way that you think about food for a lot of people over the course of many years. Part of the road to recovery after you work on, or sometimes simultaneously with, but as you work on the manifestation, the relationship with food, the relationship with body, relationship with counting, all of that, you also go back and work on that wound, the overwhelm or the grief or whatever that initial seed was way back in the day Full healing is not just about abstinence from symptoms. I mean, abstinence from symptoms is great, it helps. But that's not healing, right? That's coping. That's different. Coping and healing are different. Healing means we also go back and we retrieve that part of the soul that was lost, right? Or we go back and we look at that little one and we go, Oh, baby, I was so mean to you, but I love you. Come, tell me what you have to say. Like we said before, if I had to sum it up, I would say, All is welcome. That the road to recovery is about welcoming all. It doesn't mean you have to prefer it all. You can still not prefer the blemish on your face or the fold of skin over your navel. You can go, oh, I don't prefer that. But oh, I love it because I love myself and I love my history and I love my story. And I'm not supposed to be anything other than exactly who I am.
1: So it's full acceptance.
0: And my belief is it's your medicine to the world. Like you, Jill, exactly as you are, that is your greatest joy, but it's also your medicine for the world. We don't have to be so busy trying to be someone else.
1: And it's so important to know that you are perfect the way you are. And we want you to express yourself in ways that you feel most happy. When you feel you're most happy, you light up the world and you contribute to this world to make this world a better place and we can all do that for each other right and so Angela this has been a heartfelt meaningful powerful conversation that many of us need to hear thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge how can we stay in touch with you
0: I am on Instagram I post rarely The best place to get a hold of me is simply it's AngelaTaylorLCSW.com. My website is the best way. And then my email through that is the best way to stay in touch with me.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for extending yourself to everyone here. This has been absolutely priceless, this conversation. And I hope everyone can feel a little bit lighter and positive into this new direction and how the road to recovery looks. This episode was produced and edited by AJ Mosley for Kurt Co Media, mastering by Steve Ricky Berg. Thank you again to Angela Taylor for joining us on the show. If you have any questions or would like some advice from Angela, you can contact her at AngelaTaylorLCSW.com or go to NationalEatingDisorders.org. Until next time, my friends, have a beautiful day.
0: From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.